the biggest scientific delusion of all is that science already knows the answers. Details still need working out, but in principle, the fundamental questions are settled. 64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Welcome to the Book of the Week series. Every week as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. My name is Igor S.F. Walker, and today we look at the science delusion, freeing the spirit of inquiry by Rupert Sheldrake. So how about you slow down and relax? Reduce all that noise for just a bit. Make that choice and decide to listen. In this video, we look at one of the world's most innovative scientists who shows us that science is being constricted by assumptions that have hardened into dogmas. In the skeptical questioning and the explorative spirit of true science, this journey will radically change your view of what is possible and give you new hope for the world. So stick around till the end. I will share with you some tools I haven't used that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management. It is not anti-scientific to question established beliefs, but it is central to science itself. At the creative heart of science, is a spirit of open-minded inquiry. Ideally, science is a process, not a position or a belief system. Innovative science happens when scientists feel free to ask new questions and build new theories. Dogmatic ideology, fear-based conformity, and institutional inertia are inhibiting scientific creativity. Contemporary science is based on the claim that all reality is material or physical. There is no reality but material reality. Consciousness is a byproduct of the physical activity of the brain. Matter is unconscious. Evolution is purposeless. God exists only as an idea in a human mind and hence in human heads. Many scientists are unaware that materialism is an assumption. They simply think of it as science. 
or the scientific view of reality or the scientific worldview. They're not actually thought about it or even given a chance to discuss it. They absorb it by a kind of intellectual osmosis. Most scientists share a model of reality and a way of asking questions that is called a paradigm. Now, the ruling paradigm defines what kinds of questions scientists can ask and how they can be answered. Normal science takes place within this framework, and scientists usually explain away anything that does not fit. Now, anomalous facts do accumulate until a crisis point is reached, and revolutionary changes happen when researchers adopt more inclusive frameworks of thought and of practice and are able to incorporate facts that were previously dismissed as anomalies. All different worldviews can be summarized as follows. We're going to look at the worldview, how it views God and how it views nature. For example, worldview, traditional Christian, God is interactive and nature is a living organism. Worldview, early mechanistic. God is interactive and nature is a machine. The worldview enlightenment deism. God is creator only and nature is a machine. Romantic deism. God is creator only and nature is living organism. Romantic atheism. There is no God, but nature is a living organism. And materialism. No God, and nature is a machine. Our private relationship with nature presupposes that nature is alive. For a mechanistic scientist, or a technocrat, or an economist, or a developer, nature is neuter and inanimate. It needs developing as a part of human progress, but often the very same people have different attitudes in private. This division between public rationalism and private romanticism has been a part of Western way of life for generations, but it is becoming increasingly unsustainable. No machine starts from small beginnings grows, forms new structures within itself, and then reproduces itself. Yet plants and animals do this all the time. They can also regenerate after damage. To see them as machines, propelled only by ordinary physics and chemistry, is an act of faith. And to insist that they are machines, despite all appearances, is dogmatic. Attempts to explain organisms in terms of their chemical constituents are rather like trying to understand a computer by grinding it up and then analyzing its component elements, such as copper, germanium, silicon. Certainly, it is possible to learn something 
about a computer in this way, namely what it is made of. But in the process of reduction, the structure and the programmed activity of the computer basically vanishes, and chemical analysis will never reveal the circuit diagrams, and no amount of mathematical modeling or interactions between its atomic constituents will reveal the computer's programs or the purposes they fulfill. The mechanistic theory of life has degenerated into misleading metaphors and rhetoric. Organized systems are all nested hierarchies. At each level, the whole includes the parts. They are literally within it. And at each level, the whole is more than the sum of the parts, with properties that cannot be predicted from the study of parts in isolation. For example, the structure and meaning of a sentence on a piece of paper could not be worked out by a chemical analysis of the paper and the ink, or deduced from the quantities of letters that make it up—12 A's, 2 B's, 6 C's, 6 D's, and so on. Knowing the number of constituent parts is not enough. The structure of the whole depends on the way they are combined together in words and the relationships between the words. The machine metaphor has long outlived its usefulness, and it actually holds back scientific thinking in physics, in biology, and in medicine. Our growing, evolving universe is much more like an organism, and so is the earth, and so are the oak trees, and so are the dogs, and so are you. Can you really think of yourself as a genetically programmed machine in a mechanical universe? Probably not. Instead of dismissing our own observations and our own insights to conform to mechanistic dogma, we can pay attention to them and then try to learn from them. As Terence McKenna expressed it, what orthodoxy teaches about time is that the universe sprang from utter nothingness in a single moment. Now it's almost as if science said, give me one free miracle, and from there the entire thing will proceed with a seamless causal explanation. Now the one free miracle was the sudden appearance of all the matter and all the energy in the universe with all the laws that govern it. Scientific dogmas create taboos, and the result that entire areas of research and inquiry are actually excluded from mainstream science and from regular sources of funding. The result is fringe science 
kept beyond the pale of orthodoxy by automatic skepticism. Scientists, like most other people, accept evidence that agrees with their beliefs much more readily than evidence that contradicts them. This is one reason why established orthodoxies in science remain established. Although most people do not realize this, there is a shocking possibility that living organisms draw upon forms of energy over and above those recognized by standard physics and standard chemistry. Now we should feel very sober and even a little afraid at the power of human credulity, the capacity of human mind to be gripped by a theory, by faith. For this particular denial is the strangest thing that has ever happened in the whole history of human thought, not just the whole history of philosophy. There's always a third possibility that the facts support a new alternative way of looking at the mind-brain problem that is significantly different from the rather crude materialistic view that many neuroscientists hold today and also form the religious point of view. Only time and much further scientific work will enable us to decide the conventional materialist assumption is that memories are stored as physical traces within the brain. Now, repeated failures to find memory traces fit well with the idea of memory as a resonant phenomenon, where similar patterns of activity in the past affect present activities in minds and brains. Individual and collective memory may both depend on resonance, but self-resonance from an individual's own past is more specific and hence more effective. Animal and human learning may be transmitted by morphic resonance across space and time. The resonance theory helps account for the ability of the memories to survive serious damage to brains, and is consistent with all five basic kinds of kinds of remembering. Minds extend beyond brains in time as well as space. We are connected to the past by memory and habit, and to the future by desires, plans, and intentions. Are these memories and virtual futures contained materially within brains in the present? Or are minds connected to the past and future by non-material links. The conventional answer is that our memories and intentions
must be inside brains in the present. Where else would they be? The computer metaphor reinforces this way of thinking. Dogmatic skeptics reject all the evidence for psychic phenomena because it conflicts with the materialist worldview. Even so, most people claim to have had telepathic experiences. Numerous statistical experiments have shown that information can be transmitted from a person to a person in a way that cannot be explained in terms of the normal senses. Telepathy typically happens between people who are closely bonded, like mothers and children, spouses, close friends. Other psychic abilities includes premonitions and precognitions, as shown by animals' anticipation of earthquakes, tsunamis, and other disasters. Human premonitions usually occur in dreams or thought intuitions. In experimental research on human presentiments, future emotional events seem to be able to work backwards in time to produce detectable psychological effects now. If the state-sponsored monopoly of materialism is loosened, scientific and clinical research could look at the role of beliefs, faiths, hopes, fears, and social influences in health and in healing. Systems of therapy could be compared on the basis of their effectiveness, and then people could choose those that are likely to work best for them with the help of an informed advisor. Diet, exercise, and preventative medicine programs would also be compared on the basis of their effectiveness. The nature of placebo responses and the power of the mind could become valid fields of research, as would the effects of prayer, meditation, and other spiritual practices. An integrative medical system could empower people to lead healthier lives. Doctors and patients could become more aware of the innate capacity of the body to heal and could recognize the importance of hope and of faith. Comparative effectiveness research provides a way of finding out what works best. An inclusive, integrative medical system is likely to be cheaper and more effective than an exclusively mechanistic system. For those who idealize science, scientists are the epitome of objectivity, rising above the sectarian divisions and illusions that afflict the rest of humanity. Scientific minds are freed from the normal limitations of bodies, emotions, and social obligations, and can travel beyond the earthbound realm of the senses to see all nature as if somehow from outside, stripped 
of subjective qualities. Scientists constitute a priesthood superior to the priesthood of religions, which maintain their prestige and their power by playing on human ignorance and fear. Most scientists are unconscious of the myths, allegories, and assumptions that actually shape their social roles and the illusion of power. These beliefs are implicit rather than explicit, and they are powerful because they are habitual. They are unconscious and are therefore rarely challenged. In the academic world, promotions, grants, career prospects, the status of university departments, the status of entire universities depend on scientific publications in peer-reviewed journals. The more publications, the better. And the higher the status of the journals, the better. One effect of this system is to encourage and reward the selective publication of positive data. Another effect is to discourage original risk-taking research. Most of the many thousands of scientific journals are now owned by a small number of highly profitable publishing conglomerates. Scientists are often imagined to achieve a superhuman level of objectivity. Disbelief is sustained by the idea of disembodied knowledge, unaffected by ambitions, hopes, fears, and other emotions. Scientists are, of course, people, and they're subject to the limitations of personality, politics, peer group pressures, fashion, and the need for funding. Within medicine, psychology, and parapsychology, more researchers actually recognize that their expectations can bias their results, which is why they often use blind or double-blind methodologies. And in the so-called hard sciences, most researchers assume that blind methods are unnecessary. Many journals are now owned by international corporations whose primary motive is profit, of course. Fraud and deceit in science are rarely detected by peer review systems, and they usually come to light as a result of whistleblowing. The separation of facts and values is usually impossible in practice, and many scientists exaggerate the value of their research in order to get it funded. Although the objectivity of science is a noble idea, there's more hope of achieving it by recognizing the humanity of scientists and their limitations, then by pretending that science has a unique access to truth. The sciences are entering a new phase. The materialist ideology that has ruled them since the 19th century 
is actually out of date. All ten of its essential doctrines have been superseded. The authoritarian structure of the sciences, the illusions of the objectivity, and the fantasies of omniscience have all outlived their usefulness. The delusion that sciences already answered the fundamental questions chokes off the spirit of inquiry. The illusion that scientists are superior to the rest of humanity means that they have little to learn from anyone else, yet they need other people's financial support, but they do not need to listen to anyone less scientifically educated than themselves. In return for their privileged position, scientists will deliver knowledge and power over nature, transforming humanity and earth. The materialist agenda was once liberating, but is now actually depressing. The realization that the sciences do not know the fundamental answers leads to humility rather than arrogance, and openness rather than dogmatism. Much remains to be discovered and rediscovered, including wisdom. And there you have it, the science delusion, freeing the spirit of inquiry. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Like it. Like it. Get that algorithm going so more people can see it. Share it too. And spread the word. Share it. Share it. Share it. This is important information. Leave a comment and share your thoughts. Talk to me. Talk to each other. Ask questions. Be scientific. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. Click on that little bell thingy. And the link to this book is in the description below. So buy it. Read. Never stop learning, especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website and find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management and relationship management even further, then do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.